Hey, everybody, what's up? It's Tipping the Scales. Of course, I'm Shay Dawson. And I'm Tania Rivers. Welcome back, family. Hey, everyone. Super excited to have you here with us again. Yes. So today is uh, an important topic, a topic that Tania is very passionate about. Um, And well, both of us, but her uh, mostly because she has a lot of knowledge and institutional knowledge and experience, life experience in this area. Um, so she definitely was like, Shay, we need to get together. We need to talk about this. And I know the perfect person. Yeah, I knew the perfect person. And Shay just smiled because she agreed with me that we both know this perfect person who Shay loves um, a lot. And I think he is just fantastic for her and just a good human being. So we're super excited to have him on our pod today. Tell, tell them who he is, Shay. So today's guest is Nafis Ricks, who is my fiance. Woo, woo. Hello, honey. How are you? <laughs> Hello, honey. How are you? How are you? How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Nafis um, is literally integral um, in a lot yeah. of, I would say, we'll start with the niche um, group of men um, athletes, elite athletes. Uh, he and I mm-hmm. both share a bond in that space. Um, yeah, we literally found each other in a gym because we were both, uh, you know, there with athletes working with athletes, but, um, he was an athlete himself. He played division one basketball at Missouri state for Conzo Martin. Woo, 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 woo. Shout out to Conzo. <laughs> um, and, uh, he, before the pandemic, he was a grad assistant at Mizzou where he um, got his master's in positive coaching psychology. Um, and he is going to be a, an amazing uh, psychologist and really just take the industry to a different height and, a different, and take it into a different direction. So T was like, Shay, let's get Nafis on here and talk about mental health in the black community um, because all of us, it affects all of us um, yeah. through our ancestors, right, T? For uh, sure. And even now. Yeah, and it the timing of this is very special to me. Um, this past weekend, um, we had a ceremony for my brother who um, has passed. This is ten years um, of his of his death um, due to suicide. So mm-hmm. it definitely impacted my family, impacted me directly. So the timing is very perfect, and we, you know we wanted to make sure that we do something that was very meaningful especially when we think about all the different topics that we bring to you, we want to ensure that we're covering all aspects. So the great things and some and some tough conversations as well. And I think today is definitely going to be one of those tough conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, babe, why don't you tell them a little bit about um, where you come from, uh, where you started uh, as as a young man and where you got your roots from. And I mean, the amazing perspective that you have on the world um, and, and the influential men in your life. And then just talk about, you know, how you kind of found your way to this um, amazing space of just a mental health strategist, you being a mental health strategist, helping a lot of athletes figure out what they're doing and, and how to just unpack all the things that happen to young black men as they um, develop in basketball. Yeah. Just tell us the beginning, um, start from wherever you want, but yeah, just want to know, you know, how you became this amazing person that I love well, so much. Well, love you too. <laughs> oh gosh. Look at this. Love fest, love fest. No, but first I just want to say thank y'all for like having this podcast. It's been very influential. Uh, 
Thank Talking you. about mental health for me, uh, it starts back a long time ago. I think childhood, it starts at a very young age. Uh, I say all that to say that my mother and father was never together as I grew up. And I knew sports was kind of my outlet to showcase who I was like on and right. off the floor. So, you know, a lot of a lot of black kids turn to either sports or you turn to the streets, uh, especially growing up in Philadelphia. Uh, you are subjected to the streets a lot because that's that's like really the opportunity that's given in front of you. You don't really sure. You're not really you're not really exposed to any other things but sports and rap and, you know, right. drugs and you see murder and things like that so for me my outlet was sports uh i think i gravitated towards an early age of playing basketball football to keep myself out of trouble but i seen what death looked like early uh, and i know it wasn't normal but at the same time i, I was internalizing it was normal uh as i got you, older yeah you but, i was about to say you and t have similar experiences yeah, uh, yeah. and losing your brothers mm -hmm. yeah so as I got older, sports was my outlet. My dad was actually moved us from Philadelphia and I was partially raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he was in the street uh, selling drugs, uh, got shot. And he didn't want to uh, he didn't want that for his kids to be in that uh, environment in Philadelphia. So for me, it was more like I seen an example of what death could look like uh, on a personal level or what being shot at or being shot. And I didn't want that for myself. So I got up to around the eighth grade. Basketball was my niche. I felt like that was uh, I was playing sports because of I was angry at the world. My mother and father wasn't together. Uh, I want to play a physical sport because I felt like I was battling against the world. So wow. a great grade came up. Uh, I kind of my world kind of rocked. Uh, I lost my brother to gun violence. I was 14 mm -hmm. years old. He was 19 living with my mother. And I can remember the phone call at 10 o'clock in the morning. She's screaming. She's crying. I'm, I'm in North Carolina. Me and my little brother, Amir. And when we got the call, my father just broke down when he come, came and got me from the school. And at the time, you don't internalize it as normal. Like, I just talked yeah. to him the night before. I talked to my brother the night before. And the next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call that he's dead and laying in the middle of the street uh, in front of my grandmother's mm. house. The last person who, uh, who pretty much hugged him and kissed him. So for me, I think that kind of changed my trajectory of my life. Uh, that kind of opened my eyes that life wasn't a game. And I know I resented my father for a long time for moving us away from my mother, because maybe if I was there uh, with my brother, maybe this wouldn't happen. I, mm. I had to I had to live with that. But I knew my father did the best what he could. But as I got older, I respected my father for getting me out of that environment because I could have been that same guy in them streets doing, doing something negative and not saying my brother was negative, but being in a, putting a, uh, a compromising uh, situation where I couldn't get myself out. I'm not a street dude. I'm not, I never sold drugs. I've never been locked up. So I put that a lot on my grandfather, my father and my mother. They did a great job raising me and my brothers uh, and my sister as well. So uh, as I get up, uh, I continue to play sports. Uh, ninth grade comes around. I'm like, mm, I think it's about time for us to move back to Philadelphia with my mom, you know, mm -hmm. single, single mother. Mm -hmm. uh, she just lost a son at 19 years old. He's 19 years old. And I know, that feeling. I don't know what it is to be a mother, but I know what it is to be a parent. And I can only imagine what she goes through to this day. And I see the effects that it has had on her and my family as well. as Absolutely. My yeah, it's, it's tough because it's kind of like those conversations, like you see it so much in Philadelphia and it rocks your world, becomes normal. And, and, and sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say, like, what if what if this didn't happen? What would life would be like? So sports was the thing. Uh, my, my father raised me until I was 16. I kind of moved back with my mom and I was like, I got to be the man in the house. 
really, I didn't know what that looked like. I, I didn't really know. I knew how to be a man, but I didn't know what being a man in the house was. And it was kind of like sports was going to be my uh, my outlet to get to my next to the next level. So uh, I went to junior college. I went to prep school at first. Bad situation. But the one thing that I noticed what I was struggling with when I went to prep school at the leading the public league and scoring in Philadelphia is that I was around deaf consistently. Mm. I, probably in high school, I probably lost about 40 friends that was grew up in my neighborhood. Like 40, wow. 40. Like, like, and that's or not, zero. Yeah, that's, yeah. Not a, that's not a made up number or anything. That's not something I, I, I've seen that so many times. People smoking weed and drinking to ease the pain. And I and I, it was just like a reoccurrence. Like I'm watching my friends getting gunned down in the street consistently. So I wanted, I always wanted to do something different. Uh, so I, I took it upon myself to do what I had to do on a basketball court to get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't qualified out of high school. I was playing around and thought I was just Mr. Big, big time and everything. And slack, <laughs> same, and slack, same here. <laughs> and, and slacked off on my grades and everything. And which led me where I took the SAT at the last month of graduation. And I didn't qualify. Same. I didn't. Wow. I didn't. So I led the state in scoring and I didn't, I came home empty, <laughs> unfulfilled. I looked at my mom. It's like, what am I do next? Yeah. So well, first of all, I just want to applaud you and thank you for telling your story because it's not always easy to do. And, you know, Shay and I talked about it, and I think we've talked about it several times, is that oftentimes people see like this exterior, they see where we are as of right now, you know, sports is sexy, they see the jobs that you've had, and they want to be in those roles. And But what they don't see is the, the path that we had to take to get to where we are today and the burdens that we had to carry that allowed us to be the person that we are today. So I just want to applaud you for telling your story. It's not easy. And I can tell you personally, you know, one, how important this topic is for me, because I don't, you know, Shay knows this. I don't really talk about um, the death of my brother hardly ever. Um, It's not something that I share with a lot of people. I think especially when you hear the word suicide, that a lot of negative thoughts come mm-hmm. to mind. And, and you know, and it took, in order for me to deal with that, I had to go through some very, some, some very deep counseling because it just was very unexpected. And we'll talk a little bit about that later, but I would love for you just to share with our listeners on, you know, I one of the things that I I know just because I experienced it is when we talk about mental health in the black community, when you when we talk about counseling and 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 getting help with mental health, it's not something that's always embraced by the black community. In fact, it's something that is frowned upon and hopefully things will change, but just for me you know, I like similar like you. I grew up in Philly, and I've seen a lot, lost a lot of people in my life, and I knew, just not just in my own family, but just being pe- people around me that they struggled with mental health and mm-hmm. never got any help. So, can you talk to us a little bit about how, and even if it's a why, I don't even know if you know the answer. But talk a little bit about how it's not something that's embraced in terms of the Black community with getting help with mental health. 
Yeah, so I can just, I mean, I, I used to be getting called crazy. I still get called crazy to this day. Like, that's like a normal thing for me. And for me, mm-hmm. uh, talking about mental health as a Black man, it was more like I had to be heroic. Like, I felt like I had to be the Superman. I couldn't cry. And, you know, growing around men, it's tough love. Like, what you crying yeah. for? I'm going to give you something to cry about. So that's what I heard in my household growing up. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I struggled with trying to express myself. And I think that hurt me dealing with women at a young age because I was getting yeah. beat up mentally. And, mm-hmm. you know, being a black man going to a predominantly white institution, I was really getting buried because I'm like, I'm in a new environment. I really don't know how to express myself. I got a beer and they looking at me like, oh, where are you from? Are you from America? Like I got asked looking those at you like you're aggressive and stuff. Yeah, right. Like mm-hmm. all, all mm-hmm. those things were impacting me. And, you know, when you hear those words crazy and things like that, you kind of mentally do go crazy because he's like, I'm going to own it at that point. And I think for me, the only thing that kept me off the ledge, to be honest, when I got when I, I had a major breakdown in college, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I almost dropped out my junior year. I was struggling, but I was I wasn't struggling on a basketball court. I was, but I was it was really from the impact that came on of the gun violence that I was seeing. Like I broke down to my coach and I told him when he recruited me, uh, I don't want nobody to recruit me on a basketball court. I need somebody to recruit me in my life. And Conzo mm-hmm. Martin was the guy. He's from East St. Louis. And it was similar to the Philadelphia of his upbringing. And that's the reason why I opened up like it was a white psychologist. And I just just opened up. But I was scared because I thought I was going to be judged. And I didn't thought want nobody. She was gonna judge you. Yeah, I thought she was yeah. gonna judge me, but I felt felt secure and felt like it was a safe space because the person that recruited me, like once again, he stood by his word and got me that help. So I was just like, I'm gonna let it out. But it's very scary at first because you don't want your business to be out there. You don't know how somebody's gonna react to your story or Absolutely. what you've been or judge. So that's kind of the reason why I kind of opened up because of my coach. And well, why wow. do you think that um, our community shuns? talking about it or um why don't we talk about it and 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 i guess just from a standpoint of like you know it's passed down generational like our generational traumas that that stem from systemic racism and And it's real you know coming from ancestral um you know enslaved people you know those things like all come up through just how we are and we don't realize that it compounds because when i hear your story babe I hear one, like you said, you didn't know how to express yourself. So there's problems that come with that, right? So that's you keeping everything inside until you almost are going to implode. Two, you're always measuring yourself to a standard that you can't uphold, um, basically. Um, And you have to be above reproach every time. You have to be perfect, which is not easy to do. Um, especially, and I said like, and it's unrealistic, it's unrealistic. (laughs) And then also just like as a strong looking black man, like, you know, your eyes, your eyebrows, your build, and I've been with you and experienced you being harassed because of how you look and, and people saying things to you that, that trigger you, right. Trigger you. Mm -hmm. and, And because of the things that have happened to you in the past, and I couldn't honestly believe it. So why do you think that like, I mean, and I would say when it happened, we didn't talk about it either. It was more of like, I was like, whoa, like, what was that? So how, why is it that we don't talk about it? Why do you think? 
Uh, I think fear of being judged and being, uh, you know, that label of being crazy. Like, I, I think that's very hard to, you know, overcome because it's not taught in our in a household in the yeah. black community. It's not like yeah. you don't go to therapy. You go to church and you go to pray. About exactly. It. True. Yep. True. Like, Facts. Like, exactly. Like, uh-huh. like, like go to church and pray about it. But that's just part of the work. I'm not saying prayer doesn't help, but. Right. For me, I, I had a therapist. I mean, I had a psychologist and I was diagnosed with three mental illness this whole time. I didn't even realize like I was going through what I was going through. Dyslexia, a learning disability as well. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. PTSD, anxiety and depression. Like, So I was battling all four of those things at one time. And if I would have had to help early, maybe I could have walked through my walked through some of that stuff that I was going through and that trauma. But it's scary. Like I when I was first diagnosed, I was like, is this a real thing? Is this ever going to go away? Yeah. And this is, this is for life. I can't get rid of it. It's not going anywhere. I just have to manage myself. So I really, I think the judgment part was everything for, especially in the black community. The judgment. Yeah. I I agree with you. I think everything that we do in life, there's this element of fear as it relates to being judged and what people think about you, what they say about you behind closed doors. And Mental health is a huge component of that as people make their own judgments, like you said, calling you crazy and labeling you to be one way when you're, you know, when we all go through different stages in our life and may have dealt with depression, may have dealt with anxiety, may have dealt with things like these are real life things that happen mm-hmm. to each and every one of us, but it's not something that we acknowledge so that we can get the help that we need, mm-hmm. you know. It's funny and sad. I was talking to my cousin and I made a big point to share this with my mom is coming from a family that had that, you know, seeing someone in our household struggled with mental health and trying to, you know, when I think about us trying to get my brother help, it was something that he just didn't want to embrace, you know, and by that time, it's so far out that to try to get someone with mental that that's struggling, trying to get them to see the importance of it was very difficult. And I just think like, if, what if we, you know, could have, I think about what if we would have done things sooner when you start to first see signs mm. that something yeah, is off. Those questions. Yeah. That something was off. Just being able to realize that, you notice a change in this person and being and, and have the, the courage to go seek help. You know, my cousin, um, I, I talked about on a few previous episodes about my, my, my aunt who we lost through COVID. She was 56 years old and she left behind her, my, my cousin, who's her, her only child. And she is struggling to say the least. Her, they're very close with her mother. And I brought up to her and my family that she should seek counseling. And the feedback that I was getting from my family was, well, let's let's see how it goes. Like, give her a chance to grieve. And then if she gets bad, then we'll get her help. Mm. And I gave them the analogy. I said, well, see, that's the, that's the opposite of what we want to do. You get the help now to to, to help her along the way, mm-hmm. not when she's, you know, a month after not eating, not going outside, like falling into a deeper level of depression and then having to get her help, which is really sad. So I gave them analogy of, I said, think about, you know, God forbid someone gets shot. 
let's say you get shot in the leg. Are you going to stay home and say, let's just see how it goes. Let me let it heal. And then if it gets bad, I'll go to the hospital. I said, it's the same thing. Like you, what she experienced was tragic. Yeah. And it was hard. So it's like being shot, but from a mental perspective and you go get help right away to get treatment. You may need surgery, you know, like whatever it is from a mental standpoint, but you get the help that you need opposed to just sitting and waiting for things to change. And I think that is the exact issue that I see us, that we, that we're struggling with in our community. And people need to realize mental illnesses are triggered by stressful life events, right? Yes. Like what, yeah. Talk about that, like stressful life events and and how the early signs of of seeing someone struggle, I guess. I I think, I mean, just being black, just being honest, like especially being a black man, all the trauma that you continuously see from like social media and and real life, Mm -hmm. I think that's all triggers. And I'm very, very cautious. I know me and Shay talk about this all the time about black trauma. Like it's a, it's a big profit in that, but I take that offensive when I see things. When you say profit in that, what do you mean? As far as people making a lot of money off of black death, black trauma. Like what industries? Rap, music, Mm -hmm. uh, sports mm-hmm. entertainment anything that's mm-hmm. black bodies are associated with and it's anything that's a storyline and i feel like it does a, a disservice to us as a community because we struggle like we are talking about our real life struggles and people are profiting off our and we're not getting the help for it because of mm-hmm. it's making a couple of dollars or it's changing your life uh you know financially but mentally you're still getting killed uh I take it very serious when it mm-hmm. comes to mental illness and mental health in general, because people don't know the difference. Like yeah. I'm di- I'm diagnosed with mental illness, like a chemical imbalance. Like my father is a manic depressant. Like I seen episodes of him having episodes and it wasn't like pleasant, but I, I didn't think none of it. Like my right. dad, mm-hmm. my dad went to the, the to the, the so-called crazy house and was locked down. And I'm like, wow, if you talk to my father now, you wouldn't see those signs or you wouldn't see him even triggered, like very smart, nope. very intelligent and things like that. So I think just, you know, the early signs are just seeing different behaviors, like absolutely sleeping too much or, you know, just doing erratic behavior that you're not accustomed to that person of seeing and checking in. I think checking in is most important and not for any type of reason, but making sure that the people was all right. Uh, you know, I think we got to stress that more to see the early signs as well. What are some of the, questions we can ask when we check in i mean is it you know sometimes people don't open up so is there anything that we can say any buzzwords that might trigger not trigger them but like want them to open up versus like hey how are you doing like because a lot of people just say good or great like is there any ways that we can you know let them know we're checking in for a reason you know yeah so i'm very intentional about having conversations especially when i like i haven't talked to somebody in a long time so i I say like what was your day like instead of saying how was your day what was your day like and i I give my day like my day was like this and then it starts up a whole conversation because when you start asking leading questions like that people are more prone to open up instead of you know the generic how was your day always good good yeah (laughs) leading questions i think that that's what i got from that that's 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 good that's very that's really important and and at what point do you intervene right because Mm. again because one people may not even understand that what they're struggling with is something that they may need help with or they may be in denial 
about it and say, well, right. I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. And at what point do you intervene to really, and can you, to get the person help if they need it? Because this is, I think, a constant struggle. And I've seen it in my own household growing up. To be honest, I think you have to be supportive. Uh, I think I don't think it's a, a certain timetable. I think as soon as you notice something that's different, mm-hmm. I think I think you always continue to check in and, and maybe not nagging, but being supportive and walk them through it. I know with the people that like I talk to as far as like when I, I refer them to a therapist, I walk them through the process exactly how it's going to be. But I don't say Do you want to seek therapy because that's that's intimidating. I'm like, mm. if you feel comfortable talking to me and if you trust me, uh, I'm going to recommend this person and I'll go oh, I with love you. That. Mm-hmm. I, I love I take that. The, yeah. I take the journey with them because I feel like it's a, it's a scary, it's a scary space opening up your vulnerabilities yeah. and it's, yeah. and it's very, very intimidating in town because some people, a lot, a lot of therapists doesn't look like you. So yeah. it's like finding a black therapist or black clinician in general, it's only 3% uh, that's black in the world. So you're fighting against some heavy eyes of trying to find somebody who looks like you, especially in the black community. I love how he presented that because I would have instantaneously like, you need to talk to like, and maybe that helped me in terms of how I communicated with my cousin. Cause I did say, I think you need to talk to a therapist. <laughs> that was like my, my, I, I literally right. said, I think you need to talk. That was my recommendation. I think you need to talk to a therapist right. to talk through opposed to saying, I think you should talk it out. Like, it's just, it's a or matter of positioning first yeah. and kind of role play. Yeah, And then if you have someone, well, now you have Nafis. I mean, you've had Nafis, but now that we know that that's something that we can do, like, you know, you should talk to my friend, Nafis. And although his title, you know, is this, at the same time, that person can, that positive experience can ignite something that will go further. And now he can recommend, you know, I have a therapist because Nafis does that a lot too. Since he's not Mm -hmm. licensed yet, he knows how to get you to the the point of comfortability and then pass you off to a clinician who can actually help you either diagnose you or give you those, um, you yeah. know, those clinical steps to, to take. So like that's, removing those labels. Yeah. You know, removing the labels, babe. That's, that's, yeah. that's dope. That's dope. Yeah. Help with the fear for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when it, when it comes to, um, when it comes to mental illness, and mental health, I know sometimes they're in, we, we use them interchangeably, but I know they're different. Mental health is right. The state of your mental being, correct? And then what exactly is mental illness? Um, and I guess, I mean, you named a few of them, but like, I guess we have to just talk about the difference so that we could try and educate people too on that. Yeah, so I think what, that's very helpful. Yeah, what you said was mental health, your overworked, your it's your overall, overall, yeah. overall uh, state of being. So everybody has mental health, like whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Right. Everybody mm-hmm. has it. a mental illness is a chemical imbalance where you are diagnosed, is treated different ways from different therapies. So mm-hmm. that's something that you can't change. You can't erase. You can only work to mitigate some of the challenges. And every diagnosis are different. Uh, I'm still I'm still doing a, a great deal of reading and learning about all the different diagnoses and different medicines that you know, whatever your doctor or your clinician prescribes to you. And it's a whole process. So I want everybody to know mental health. Everybody has mental health. Like, yes, that's that's the standard. Like everybody. But being diagnosed is a different. So you can it's have different. a bad day and not be, have a have a mental illness. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, I think that's that's helpful to yeah. be and able mental to health understand. issues is is saying that there are some things we need to like address. research further. Yeah, yeah. we or need to address yeah. mental so health you, issues. You can, yeah, you can say you can say I feel depressed today. That don't mean you're going through depression. Like I don't get the stamp right away. That doesn't it doesn't right. mean anything. Yeah, I think I I can use a good example for me right now. Like I just I'm dealing with a a lot of stress. Like I got, I'm pulled in a lot of different directions at work. I am trying to be supportive of my family. And I just, sometimes I just feel overwhelmed with so much that I have to do. And I think that's a good way for me, like in terms of mental health is that, okay, I recognize that I'm overwhelmed. And for me, it's helpful to talk about things when you're feeling like your back is against a wall, opposed to trying to balancing all out. So that for me is an indication like, okay, I think I want to talk this out so I can find other ways to deal with my overwhelming amount of stress that I have on my plate right now, opposed to having like a, a clinical diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And then I'd love to hear from you both. Um, what are some things um, when you feel stressed or you feel overwhelmed that you're doing to subside or, you know, just try to help ease all of that? Um, I know during the pandemic, I dealt with a ton of stress and Nafis mm-hmm. was very helpful in suggesting things to do. So he has his own way. He reads a ton, but I let him tell you, tell everyone. But I also like to hear from you, T, because, you know, you're like in a higher pre- you're in a high pressure situation. You travel back and forth to see your son, um, you know, on a different coast. You're managing our podcast as well as I like we want to say yes to everything. So what are some things you guys do to, like, keep yourselves in check or when you're feeling stressed? Yeah. And now so, you can go first, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what I do traveling uh you know we travel a lot exercising and really journaling i'm a proponent of journaling at first like i wasn't i wasn't interested in it i didn't think it would work or anything like that but i had to sit back and put my thoughts on paper even if it didn't make sense it made sense to me and that's what i that's what i learned about myself like certain things that i do it's not conventional or it's not there's no pattern of it I, i just blurt out things and say things and stuff like that and that really helps me get my what i'm feeling I'm stressed. Uh, I really like I'm, I'm writing it down because I feel like that's going to turn into a book one day. Like that's my like I'm going to write down all my thoughts and I probably have 50 books of journals. But it's just really to release. And that's what I, that's some things that I do to feel like self-care methods that I use. Yeah, I think that's good. And I agree with you in terms of exercise. That's something that is helpful for me. You know, it mm-hmm. releases endorphins. It really sends your brain those happy messages that you need. So I definitely, exercise is a big part of who I am. If I go a day, two tops without exercise, I get antsy. Like I have to exercise. Another thing too, and I mentioned it, that if it's a lot going on, I just need, I I may want to talk to someone outside of the folks that are in my circle just to get um, an unbiased opinion that is someone who's outside that I talk to on a day-to-day basis that's something that I do. It's just a part of who I am. I found it extremely helpful. And, you know, especially when I'm pulled in a lot of different directions, it helps. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I just started doing that has been, that's helped, that's been really helpful is meditation. Mm-hmm. Just meditating at night, kind of quieting my mind. Because for me, you know, I've suffered from insomnia in the past. And a big part of it is not turning my mind off at night. Mm-hmm. So when I'm lying down, I'm just thinking about like, what's tomorrow? 
what we're going to talk about on our podcast. What do I have to do? What's going on with my son? Like I got all these thoughts yeah. in my head that I can't shut off. And I found that meditating at night before I go to bed just helps quiet all the thoughts that are, you know, that have me prepare for the next day, just kind of quieting my space and quieting my mind and, you know, getting me prepared, prepared for bed. And, you know, I also too, like, I think it goes without saying is, is prayer is just powerful as a part of who I am. And, you know, just the power of prayer just, you know, moves mountains for me. So it's something that I put in my my day to day regimen. Like what that. do you do, Shay? I'm curious. What do you um, do for stress? So I so coming out of the pandemic, um, I am a naturally positive person, but I did go through a lull, um, just with so much work to do, mm-hmm. and I think I did that because all of my days were running together. So I've been very intentional about creating a better system for Shay. Like wh- I have a lot of things I want to do. I want to post on. Twitter in the morning. And then I want to screenshot that and make a Instagram post about it. I want to, obviously I have work. Um, I have meetings and things like that. So what I've been able to do is I even have it in front of me. Uh, you guys can't see at home, but I got my handy dandy calendar here. And I also have my internet calendar and I constantly fill both of them um, and then check them all the time. But waking, um, getting eight hours of sleep. I told you that's one thing I've been very intentional about. Yes. Getting my sleep. And then having everything. So I have a, a, a cabinet in the kitchen that is my wellness cabinet. It's got everything. It's got my iron pills, got all B12, biotin, everything. So do Love. that in the morning. Yeah. And then just put out my stuff in the day, like what the ideas of things I'm going to wear. I don't know what I'm going to wear because I always change it up. But at least <laughs> I have it in front of me so I can see it because that takes a lot of time. And one thing, though, that I so the, just having a new system and, and having a schedule but I'm not sticking to my schedule. Like I'm not going to kill myself if I miss one thing. So giving myself grace, if I don't get all the things I want, but just having it written down, I make a to-do list, just having things there just so I can always see it is really helpful. Um, But one thing I need to get better at, and I think that's causing me mental health issues is my cell phone. I am addicted Mm. to my cell phone and I need to figure out a way to shut it down. Not use it so much. Because, I mean, even with this like war going on, you know, the things that are happening in Ukraine and then the last two days we've been seeing Africans and black people not being able to cross borders and being the last and being pulled off of every single time something happens in the world. And of course, especially when it happens to black people, because that's what you relate to. It affects you over and over. And I'm an extreme empath and I love people. And when I see Mm -hmm. people getting treated like dirt and not being, you know treated like humanely it it bothers me and it and it so it's hard to I need to figure out how to shut it off because you know you start to see and and I also know that sometimes people do that to incite those feelings in you because that's that's warfare right there right exactly um and me and Nafis talk about it all the time so I'm trying to do better like I said I create systems but my cell phone I need to figure out how to minimize my usage because it's it's a lot Um, yeah I think a lot of people too Shay. In terms of one, I'm glad that you acknowledged acknowledged it because you can't change without yeah. any acknowledgement. And I think a lot of people just in terms of their cell phone, social media is a huge time suck. So they're on Instagram, they're on all their social pages at night mm. without the in a, you know with without the ability to kind of time out. 
Um, Mafis, I'm curious, do you have any recommendations just in terms of I was gonna how, yeah, <laughs> how to unplug? And then if there is something that we didn't mention that helps with just stress overall, because so look, I think stress is a huge part of, you know, we all experience it. You know, some of us deal with it better than others. But if there is anything else that we didn't mention in terms of just balancing stress, whatever analogy you can share, that would be helpful. Uh, get you a therapist at first. Yeah, <laughs> see? <laughs> no, I, I think, I think ther- therapy will help. I mean, like you said, you want that neutral party that doesn't have a horse in your race. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, as far mm-hmm. as with cell phone, what I've been doing, like I'll delete the apps from my phone or, and I'll put the phone outside the door. Like I've when I go to sleep. That, yeah. Uh, I'll I'll do that because, like I said, I'm I'm addicted as well. Whether it's email, and I don't watch TV, so I'm not a perform. I, like I don't watch. I haven't watched TV probably nine years. Like I just, oh wow, I'd be I trying just, to get him to watch stuff with me, and he's just like Shay. No, I don't do. That. I don't have time like, for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I stream every. So I'm a YouTuber, and I like to read like on history and stuff like that. So I'm not really into That's you awesome. know. Like I like social media and podcasts. You like podcasts? Yeah, podcasts and just information that I can help better my life and the people around me and. Awesome. Just the world, but I, I would re- definitely recommend deleting the apps for, like and setting a timer on your phone where you can set it. It might shut off at ten o'clock and all your apps are shut down. That could help. Uh-huh. That's something that I use. Shay, you would be impressed. So last night I got eight hours of sleep, and it just—I woke up this morning. I felt like it, I felt like I could go run a marathon. You don't even need the alarm when you get eight hours. Oh like your body gosh. will wake your, wake itself up. It's crazy. I got eight hours of sleep. I just not have. I've never felt so great in such a long period of time. But you know what I did differently? I went to bed at nine o'clock. Wow. And that is like it's already you know it's it's late already, and I still have a thousand things to do. <laughs> so I don't know how I'm going to go to bed at nine o'clock. That's- but I literally shut it down at nine o'clock and slept like a baby. Mm. So well, my man right here. This man can sleep. So he definitely gets uh, to sleep and he loves some naps. To make, talk about naps. <laughs> naps they, they need it. Everybody needs naps. Like, you need a nap. <laughs> he, he gets his sleep, his, his naps. And, and, and it's so funny too, because I used to make fun of him. And then when I like go so hard for like, let's say a week or something, I just crash. And he's like, I told you, if you would take them naps, you wouldn't have crashed. Your body's going to shut down she, eventually. She, she dies out. She literally <laughs> dies out. Um, I, I did want to ask you about, um, so he also has this amazing thing. It's so funny because I posted on Instagram um, about how he called a lot of the stuff that's happening in the world right now and how he calls some things that happened to me uh, because he's a pattern pattern reader is that that's a thing which helps which is a reason why he's able to do his job so well as a mental strategist because he watches patterns so what he does when he works with athletes is he observes them he he doesn't need to talk to them all the time he just around and he's watching them as they talk to people as they um wear certain things eat certain things and he kind of can predict things mm. so like babe can you talk about how this this pattern thing that you've been doing and I, it's kind of scary because he's been calling things since I've been with him from trades that happen contracts from guys that were let's say they're like on the come up what's the guy right now Josh Giddy no mm-hmm. it's Josh Giddy so Josh Giddy just in terms of like he's just watching the pattern of what he's doing and no one's watching the Thunder technically like on the East Coast like we're not we don't see their games a lot but he he's watching the like I said he watches YouTube so he's watching. 
And he can call. He's like, Josh, get to go and get that starting spot. And he just starts calling these things and no one's paying attention. No one's talking about the media. Next thing you know, it happens. Well, so look, like, if you, if you start getting anything about Mikel, <laughs> I want to be the first to know. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I say all that to say like he, that's how he helps me with my mental health mm. because part of anxiety is not knowing it's, it's mm-hmm. part of the unknown. But yeah. With me, he has such good, a tr- such a good track record that it's giving me like solace. Like it's helping me like, okay. He's like, he'll read the pattern. He'll tell me, Hey Shay, don't worry. Don't stress about that. You've been doing these things for so long, you know? So talk about that, like pattern seeing that you do, it's like great. what, what is yeah. that about? And, and how can people adopt that to their, you know, to help their mental health as well? Cause I, that's something that helps both of us. Yeah. I like uh, that. To be honest with you, I don't know. I think it's a gift from God. Be honest, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not. Even when I met you, like 2012, like I'm, like, I called it out. I'm like, she's gonna be mine. Like from the from the time I stepped in, like, and I seen her, <laughs> and I'm like, she's gonna be mine. Like, so I I say all I say that, and I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see, buddy. Okay. You know, <laughs> back full circle, but I always I pay attention to people. I love people, and I love to see people do well. But I'm. I kind of like it's always been my thing to follow a pattern because I'm a visual learner. I'm not going to learn from writing something down on a piece of paper. You got to act it out. I have to see I have to see your energy. And I'm big on that. And I like to see like I said, I love to see people win. But I can tell like kind of see patterns of, you know, behaviors. Uh, that's the behavior. Reason. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's the reason I why I that's that be. psychology thing. That is yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. And I think I think that, and a gift. Yeah. yeah. I, I think basketball brought me close to my purpose, which was being becoming a counseling psychologist one day and, you know, helping people who look like me and people who don't look like me, but really understanding the plight as a black man. And, you know, with sports, everything's a pattern. Everything that you do, you're being compared to someone or something. Hmm. So for me, when I'm looking at athletes, I don't look at them as athletes. I'm looking at them as human beings. And I look at certain things that they do, like as far as like, what's your regiment? I watched y'all podcast with Jay Wright and it's about instituting those systems. And, you know, that makes that mm-hmm. like Mikel was built already before, before you, before he was born, but you, you put in systems to make sure that education was important. Like those things are recipes for being successful. Now, not everybody is going to make the NBA and that's 0.1% that's going to make the NBA, but when yeah. you have come from a, a certain background and you have a certain system in place with Shay that you talk about, I think that creates a great environment for success. Uh, and I'm a very, and I, like I said, like I love sports and I, and I love to see especially black men and black women winning at the highest level. Like I'm intrigued because I'm, I'm like this, the same story that you hear. Mom is mom is on drugs that is locked up. Well, what about the, 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 the positive stories that we don't show? Like that's behavior, that's patterns. So I want to highlight those more than anything and like oh, being like honest. And I think me following behaviors led me into my purpose of one day, like I said, becoming a psychologist and helping other people out and not telling them and just showing like, this is the things that you're doing. <laughs> and you, you figure it out. Like if we put it on the table with the pros and cons and, and let's see how does it add up, you can answer your own question. So that's kind of, I think, like I said, I think it's a gift from God. I don't take it for granted. I still can't call it for my, myself. I swear with it. So me and she always talk about it, but I, I can't, but I, for other people, I think I do a pretty good job of as far as doing research like i'm a big researcher of myself but let alone of other people so i'm very intrigued by that good I, yeah that's helpful um I, I have a question too so 
when you talk about helping other people, and I know, I think all three of us share that commonality of we are people, people. Yeah. And we love people. We want to help people. And we, we don't get joy in our lives unless we're making a difference in the life of someone else. Like, I think all of us kind of share that. I'm curious in terms of helping people, especially when we talk about mental illness and mental health, is, you know, in addition to checking in and is there anything else that we can do to just to spread more awareness on such an important topic? I think because yeah. awareness is just so important. So whatever tips that you have, I think it'll be good to share because we can't walk away from this without doing something differently than we did yesterday and what we do or what we're doing currently. So what is something that we can do to be better and more advocates of such a very important topic? Uh, first, I think you create safe spaces for people to be vulnerable mm. to tell their story. But mm. I think storytelling is, is is power in that. It's like music. I feel like sharing your story is like music. Like if you can't rap or you can't sing, let me tell my story in a way that I, I see fit, but it can help someone else. And also make it an initiative. Like on these college campuses, when your kids are being recruited from these schools, make sure they have initiatives based on mental health. Like, so May, hmm. it should be every, like from high performing jobs, uh, uh, people that's like in your position as well, HR, like tell your story what it is to be like in your position and what you go through and not, it's not stigmatized because I think the more you share, people, uh, they relate to proximity. And hmm. for me, when I speak, I, I speak in a way where I'm still operating as an athlete. So I don't have, once again, I don't, I don't care if you make the NBA, that's great but I care about you as a person because the same amount of like the love you're going to get the same amount of hate you're going to be able to get. And I always tell Shay, like when guys post all the good stuff, I say, if you don't post the negative stuff or the stuff that you're not proud about, then they're going to consider you a superhuman. So you're never going to be able to come down off the high and people, you're going to be upset about they talking about you. So I think you continuously share stories, but make sure in those workplaces, like we have a mental health month, not just a week, a mental health month where people are sharing themselves and, you know, so we can make the workplace better. Because if you feel good about yourself, then I think you produce uh, higher rates of productivity. So I you rather preach, brother? I Ricks. know. <laughs> Drop That's another man. That's my man. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I can't. <laughs> Look at T. <laughs> I'm just elated here. You guys are. Um, it's just cute, you know. Like we we've had we we we've had. Um, episodes where we talked about love and you could just, it's infectious. So just having you both together, um, you could just see the love that you have for one another and it just makes my heart melt. So I love it. Okay. So I'm going to be corny. Okay. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, this also contributes to positive mental health. So this man texted me yesterday. Sorry, babe. I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, he okay so let me tell you about nafis since we're gonna get into our love now our love stuff now okay since i met this man he's been consistent in terms of texting me just every morning Aww. sometimes same thing sometimes different things but every morning and we've been together almost seven years so so yesterday he texted me i love you with all my heart out of nowhere so i go of course of course i'm gonna respond back love you too honey Thinking that's the end of our text message. And then he uh -huh. goes, you make me proud every day. And I just love you for you. <laughs> and you know, as I'm reading it, I'm like, 
what? Like, how was Then he says, I have butterflies every day because our, of our relationship. I value you and our family. And I'm just like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, like, but like stuff like that, like, that's why I try to say like, no, love does exist and good men do exist and good and black men do exist. So yeah, the narratives that are out there, like, let's stop subscribing to them. Because yes. once you s- subscribe to them, then that's all you're going to see. It's like if you buy a new car and, you see, and it's red, all you're going to see is red cars. You know what I mean? So you have to really, really do a, make a conscious effort to see all the cars, to see everybody and for what they are. And like, I just think that having, or I guess, and also like, and we talked about this before, you know, with Nafis, but Nafis, when we first met, he told me all of this, all the things that he has been through all the things that he still yeah. struggles with. I created a safe space as a woman to open up so that he could tell me all the things. And then I told him. And so love like it. when we talk about love, a lot of people don't do that. No. So because we opened up, both of our mental health is up here because our relationship is so positive because it's more about sharing and mm-hmm. collaboration instead of judgment. Right, babe? and you know, um, you know, just all the things that happen. So, yeah. Well, so one, I think that's just awesome and so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree. I think we have to, well, you said it, Shay, is that we got to stop judging. And that goes back to us labeling and just saying all men are bad and there's no good men out here left it's like and we do that a lot in the black community and we we start to believe that stuff and it manifests into our lives and you Mm -hmm. have to turn off that noise and speak positivity because Mm -hmm. you know nafis is a good example of there are great black men and just men in general that are out here and they do exist and they are strong and they are great partners and and we have to stop thinking that it's just not something that is a reality because it is. Yeah, but but I, but I will say it took a, it's, it took a lot of work. Like I, I commend black women for sure. Like I'm fortunate myself, and it wasn't easy. Like I, I'm not going to say I'm the greatest black man to do it and everything because I still struggle to this day about certain things in my life that I've been through. Like like mm-hmm. I said for, like I said earlier, like I struggle how to like be a man at times, like to women, like I didn't know what that was. Like I'd never seen that. So for me, like just getting a woman flowers or sending a text message or doing little things. So yeah. like, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong uh, journey with this, uh, with our relationship as far as far as and finding the right person that fits you. I think mm-hmm. for me, Shay fit me, like I fit her and I, and she fit me. Like, and I'm not just talking about like the exterior, the interior, cause we both, had our deep, dark secrets and we expressed it to ourselves and mentally. I wasn't, I was like, listen, this is a package deal. So me and Zoe, like this has to work. Like that's all that was in my mind. But I said, I had to free myself. And like, there's certain things that I still like, I'm a little scared to talk about at times, but I finally, like she creates that space for me. Like, you know what, whenever you're ready. And I appreciate that, especially as a black woman, because even black women are painted in, in ways where it's like where you're the angry black woman like i i want to hold my black woman down for the 
for the rest of my life. Like I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it an effort in myself. But like I said, this is not easy work. So I don't want nobody thinking my relationship is goals or anything like that. No, we just, we are compatible for each other. We, we compliment each other and we we're passionate and we have a purpose and we're very intentional about who we let in our space and give out our energy. And like I said, like it's, it's work. Like it's not easy. At it all. is work. It is work. Yeah. And yeah. the purpose is outside the relationship. It's not necessarily with it. It's just what we're put on earth to do and we just do it together. So, yeah. That's great. I think well said. we, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. Um, but I, I think it's good to hear that you have to put the work in because again, we, we see people get, people they want, are it, in, they want it like this. They, yes. want, they want to say, here's love. Served a, on a planner. An amazing everything. No. Yes. And people are enamored by what they see. So when they go on social media, they see the pictures, they see all that, they see the quotes and they're like, oh, this is great. But what they don't see right. is the work that you guys are doing behind the scenes to show that you respect each other, to show that, guess what? We're going to go through some some challenges, but we're going to get through this together. And we don't want to do things that are that are that that cause us to be a little bit scrappy and a little bit grimy. Like we want things to be just sunshine, rainbows, yeah. and and it's not always that way. <laughs> it's, not. it's not. And okay, I I'll share a story too because since I I want to be transparent about our relationship, so we spent the whole pandemic together. Um, that's how I knew we were going to make it uh, because it was a lot. Uh, COVID was a thing, you know. Um, Nafis got sick. He got pneumonia. He got COVID. He had a mild heart attack. It was a lot. So then we were in Missouri. This is after the SEC tournament got shut down and we're in Missouri. And then we moved, we moved back to Philly where we had an apartment. Um, And he goes to play basketball and he tears his Achilles. And mind you, I've been nursing him this entire pandemic with love. And then he goes and voluntarily plays basketball. He tells me he leaves the house and says, I'm going to go watch. And I go, okay, no problem. Like, whatever. I'm working, you know, on OTE, like this amazing project that I'm just like, I can't think about anything else, which he allowed me to kind of like dive in and not worry about anything else. Okay. So um, he goes and then I get a FaceTime. I end it. FaceTime again, end it. I'm like, why the dude? What's calling going on? What, is he, what does he want? <laughs> He calls me and I see his face and it is mm. very disappointed. And he's like, I tore my Achilles. And I was like, I had had it. I was done. I was like, I'm done. What like, part are you <laughs> supposed to watch, boo? I mean, what's happening? Well, you, you know how to you know how to go, go ahead and respond before I finish the story. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, the sneakers is always in the car. And, you know, you know, in Philly, like somebody like we need one. So it's like. <laughs> All right. I didn't expect it. I had sweatpants on. I'm going to, I'm literally going to watch next thing you know, I wound up in the court and then, you know, okay. tra- the tragedy happens and I got to make that phone call. And, like, <laughs> and then, so mind you, he hadn't worked out for what, three months because he got sick those times. So mm-hmm. he, his doctor told him, you know, change your diet. Not that he was eating a bad diet, but he had just to really be dil- diligent about it. So I was making sure I was making everything with low sodium, low fat, like all this stuff. So he was just getting back to health so he tears his achilles so after that i'm just done so i basically order everything on amazon that he needs to take care of himself and i book a ticket and i go to california i go to my mom's house because i have to get this project done and nobody knows this nobody i work with nobody i mean they know that i went to california but they don't know that i was like up to here and um 
And we didn't fight about it. It was more just like a, it was like a known thing. Like he knew that. It, so basically, so I went to go get him from the gym. I drove all the way to the doctor silent. I was like this. Uh, and he was calling. You know something's wrong when you get that silent treatment. Silent. I was like, <laughs> he was talking to people in the backseat. I was like, <sighs> like breathing all hard and everything. He gets there. I get the wheelchair. I, I pull him in. He sits there. He's talking to the nurse. I drive off. Oh, wow. So I said, and so I text him, call me when you're done. Because I was just like, you know, you just know upset. when you just had it. And, yeah. and obviously it wasn't all him. It was a lot of stress at work too. Yeah. And then I went to California, went to my mom's house. And I, I was in what's called cave mode, uh, which when I met him, I was in cave mode. I was getting my job at Philly. I, when I get in cave mode is when I'm like orchestrating like a huge project or a plan. So mm-hmm. we did a lot of deep work apart so we talked every day but it was like you know very surface level how are you how are you feeling you know obviously I waited till he came out of surgery and everything and I ordered everything that he needed shower chair protective cast protect his cast from the showers all that you know I wasn't gonna leave my man just like you know but at the same time I kind of <laughs> yeah. just wanted to teach him a lesson in like I'm not gonna always be here and I'm your girlfriend I'm not your wife and I kept saying that and um so I, we go there I do this deep work you know, I'm, I'm focused, you know, I'm trying to communicate my feelings because it's hard at this time that I'm like, babe, like, damn, like I'm taking care of you, whatever. And he's he's also like, you know, admitting like, yeah, man, he's he's basically saying sorry in, in a roundabout way. And we're talking it out and, and we get to a good place or whatever. And we're talking. Of course, mm-hmm. I wasn't breaking up, but I, I had to feel like, you know, it was like this is serious. And then after that, that man was like, yep, that's my wife. And then he proposed. So it's like, ladies, you gotta <laughs> <set> your boundaries. <laughs> I love that. And I think. Look, I think that's just a a really good example of you're going to have some really right. trying times and you have to be able to embrace it and and find ways to deal with it together because look at where you guys are today. Right. Um you're engaged, you're going to be married, but yet oh, you st- you got to turn it around. <laughs> but yet you still have a lot of respect for each other. Right. And I think that speaks volumes to uh, your relationship and irregardless of this union that you guys have, you guys really are supportive of one another and your goals. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know, Nafis, before we let you go, I feel like you need to respond to that. Do you want to tell anything? Yeah, I would love to hear this. <laughs> no, I, I mean, she was right. I mean, I made a mistake. Like it was a big mistake. And I, I think for us, it showed me a lot, not only just in a relationship wise, but we are a unit, but we are different in a way. And I think that's time away. It helped us to this day because like we travel back and forth and we see each other in different cities. And, you know, once again, we get back to that sports arena and like I appreciate her doing that. Like she left all the stuff and I was by myself. I fell a couple of times and I'm like, oh, I can't. But I, I didn't but I'm know like, that. But look, look, but I couldn't call her because oh, I'm like, shit. oh, I fell like. <laughs> She's gonna curse me out again. That's all I kept on. She's gonna feel bad now. Why did yeah. you don't end our don't end our uh, episode with that? Because now she's Sorry. gonna be stressing, like, okay. Oh no, she good. No, I'm, keep going, keep going. I'm, I'm fully healed, so I, I made it. But I, <laughs> I appreciate like so that's the things. Like, I think, I think like that goes back to mental health. Like for a woman to do that, to think of me like as a girlfriend, like she would say, this whole time I always consider her my wife the whole time, but I'm looking at it like she really cares about me and I, you know, I got to make better choices sometimes. And I didn't make yeah. a good choice and I, and I had to live with that. And I was cool with that. Like I was upset at first and I was more mad at myself, but I knew her 
she was going to say something like, come on, like, I'm not helping because I got injured like every summer. So I know she was probably fed up. Like this was the last straw. Since we met so, every yeah. summer, he had an injury. Hmm? Oh, um, <laughs> but but I, I appreciate you sharing that. I didn't know that you fell a couple of times. Um, that's crazy. <laughs> but mm, yeah. Well, this has <laughs> been great. <laughs> this has been great. Look, uh, thank you, Nafis, for coming on. Um, our pod to really talk about a very important topic about how we need to take our mental health and mental illness seriously. The point that we can't suffer in silence. So you need to make sure that you are reaching out to those that you love or those who are in your circle. Make sure that you're checking in and and and, and looking out for one another if we don't leave you with anything else. And we appreciate you. Thank you for continuing to listen to Tipping the Scales wherever you get your podcast. We love for you to come back and hear more. Yeah, and we can't wait to follow your journey, Nafis. He uh, just got into a second master's program and Yay. then he'll get his PhD after that. So uh, yeah, you go ahead, Black man. Do your you thing. Whoop, whoop. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you until next time. 